All right, super. Listen, we've been talking uh, to you from Romans, been preaching and teaching from Romans. Romans, uh, the, the book of Romans, a great book. And uh, it's, in my view, it is the most systematic uh, bo book in the Bible. And it is sometimes difficult to understand. Uh, some things that are said there, uh, theologians debate as to what Paul meant and what he was saying. And I, I, I've preached from Romans a lot. I've preached um, topically from Romans. And uh, the Lord moved up on me, as you well know, some time ago and said, a few months ago and said, I want you to teach from Romans. And uh, I was petrified and did not want to do that in a systematic way. But we all, we are obligated to say yes to the Lord. And we are not to make excuses that when I was a very young preacher, I, I preached a message called excuses don't satisfy God. And um, so he won't accept mine either. I want to talk to you a little bit from Romans chapter seven, but let me give you a quick update. If I can give you a quick update. Um, uh, we want to start at Romans chapter 7, verse 7. But uh, let's look at verse 5, and I'll bring you up a little bit, because it is my view, strong view, that most of us do not understand what God is saying to us in Romans. There are churches that, uh, that have built uh, their ministry on um, trying to get us to keep the law, and uh, they're, they're trying to get us to do that when no one did it. Uh, uh, you know, I use uh, Brother John Brown's 117 billion people numbers. He said that's the good guesstimate as to how many people have lived on this planet from the beginning till now, uh, somewhere around approximately 117 billion is what he said he found. Well, take that 117 billion and only one of them live right. Only one of them kept the law. Wow. And when you find that, now we could give you a synopsis and say, that's the one you want to follow. But I'm going to give you some more information. Let's look at Romans 7 verse 5. And I, I'm, I'm not going to say as much uh, in, as we're in the way of detail as I did in the first service. But let me just read some things very quickly. If you'll turn to Romans 7 5. Paul talks about a past tense situation as opposed to a present tense one. He says, for when we were in the flesh. So he is, he is uh, suggesting now that we are not in the flesh any longer. Those of us who are in Christ are not in the flesh. Are not in the flesh. flesh. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. So what Paul is saying to us that when we, before Jesus Christ, before we gave ourselves fully to him and before he fully received us, the produce that you and I had ended in death. It was, it was fruit unto death. Nothing good came of it. Nothing good came of it. And so, and in Romans 6, 20, verse, chapter 6, verses 20 through 22, he says, when you were slaves of sin. So he is, he is implying that those of us who are in Christ are no longer slaves to sin. 
And I don't, I don't want to say, oh, we should not be. No, we are no longer. That is not our reality because you can't be in two hemispheres at the same time. Amen. You cannot be in the sphere of sin and the, and the sphere of the spirit or Christ's sphere or Christ's realm. You cannot be in both at the same time. I've given you the example that we live in the Western Hemisphere and I cannot also live in the Eastern Hemisphere at the same time. It's not possible. And so Paul is giving us this understanding that when we were slaves of sin, we were free in regard to righteousness. And so we, could, we did not have or demonstrate the righteousness that God approves of. doesn't matter how much you loved your little boy or little girl and, and they were godless. You can't say, well, I just want to believe that they are in heaven. Really? That's not the way it works. It works by the word of God. You can't say, well, my, my daddy, uh, he loved, he worshiped God in his own way. Can't do it, buddy. It's impossible. And so Paul is, is laying all of this out for us so that we'll have a clear understanding of what pleases God. And so he says in verse 21, he asks a question. And, and when Paul asks these questions, he already knows the answer, by the way. So what did you, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are not ashamed, which you are now ashamed and wish to say nothing? He says, for the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin or made free, I prefer made free because it's more, it's more than, uh, okay, you're, about, you're free now, go, go. It's not. It's God has done something on the inside of us that manifests outwardly. The outward stuff, you don't get the outward stuff first. Okay, I, want, I demand outward holiness. And this is what legalism is. I demand an outward holy, holiness, and we, but we are not really holy. And we get frustrated. I know, I, I grew up in a church, a great church. I, I, if anybody grew up in that church that I grew up in, it was a great church. They did a lot of wonderful things, but too much legalism. You, you had to wear your, your, your clothes a certain way, and you ought to wear your clothes. You ought to be decent and in order. You know, you, you know as my wife says, what you show, you share. You know, so we ought to be, we ought to be, be careful as to how we dress ourselves. But that is not holiness because I wore my pants baggy and too far down on my ankles. That's not. It's, it's not that I had a tie everywhere I went and though it was 107 degrees, I still had my coat and tie on because this is the way a holy man looks. It, it's, that's not holiness. It's not outward. It's inward. Paul says, but having been made free and having become slaves of God, total slaves, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. So Paul wants us to understand that also. And now let's look at, at um, Romans 7, 6. Let's look at Romans 7, 6. And we'll just run a little bit faster than we would normal. Okay, Romans 7, 6. But now we have been delivered from the law. How? Having died to what we were held by. So um, the law has the law of God, all the Old Testament, uh, the Ten Commandments inclu included. Those first five books, uh, 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 absolutely, of the, of the Bible. 
He says the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. So it's very important for you to understand that in the economy of God, you know, are no longer that person that you used to be, that, that you died. When, when uh, Jesus died, every person who would ever express faith in Christ died that day. Yes, yes. And when Jesus got out of the grave, every person who has faith in, in Jesus Christ, has given his heart to him, got out of the grave. That's how God... God looks at it. And the way God looks at it is the way it ought to be. It's the way it is. It's the way God looks at it. So my opinions don't matter. It, what matters is the Word of God. You know, you just, you just heard that wonderful pastor talk about how he tried to run away from God at 19. I too tried to run away at 19. So let's hold our 19, 20, 21 year olds and even 23, 24 year olds. Let's hold them. Let's hold them firm. You're not going anywhere. How do you know, Mom? Because Jesus said so. God said so. He says he's going to save you. He didn't say he's going to lose you. Uh, that's how we have to look at that, all right? So anyway, yeah. So Paul says we've been delivered from the law. So how have we been delivered? Having died to what we were held by. Why? Because the law has dominion over a man or a person as long as that person lives. And so, but we've been delivered so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit, not in the oldness of the, of the letter. So when he talks about the letter, he is talking about law and all of its rules and regulations. When you read sometimes in Old Testament, it says, do not, do not, do not, you know, do, do, do. Do not, do not, do not, do not, do not. And so we try to do that. And the book of Romans shows us that it's futile. It is futile. You cannot do it. There's nobody in this room, out of this room, your departed dad or mom, no matter how much they preached it, they couldn't do it either. It's, you can not do it. And I know growing up as I did, and I, and I want to reiterate, I went to a wonderful church. Most of the things that I know today, I learned there. Most of the things I know today, I learned there. But the legalistic part of it, boy, I'm so glad I got rid of it. Because the only thing it did was cause me great frustration. Frustration. The moment I made the mistake, I thought, I'm not saved. Yeah. I know some of you may have experienced that. I thought, I'm not. And I, I used to think, I'm going to hell. I, that's what, I, I, I'm going to go to hell. I'm going to mess around here, live for God. I thought perfectly, you know, never make a mistake, never roll the, uh, my eye, never raise my voice, you know. And uh, I thought, but I'm going to get to the end, and I'm going to do something dumb and go to hell. And God told me, Jesus told me, spoke to me, and says, you're not. He told me. He told me, he said, I'm going to get you to the throne. I am. But I didn't understand the emphasis on I. I did not understand that still because that other thing had a hold on me. So God, uh, the Lord Jesus has saved us. Uh, the Father caused us, as it were, to be united with Jesus in his death. And Paul concludes that because I was united, because you were united with him in his death, you also must by necessity be united with him in his resurrection. So the life that Jesus now lives, he doesn't live in, as it were, against sin or in the realm of sin. He lives a life Godward. So the life he lives now, he lives to God. So it's like, it's like the song, the stanza says, the world behind me, the cross before me. It's like that. So it's like the world behind me, God before me. So I live 
to God. I live for the purposes of God. I live by the spirit of God. I live in the Christ realm. I live in the Christ realm now. That's what, that's what God wants us to understand. And so he says that we, we should now serve God in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Okay, that is um, the rules and regulation. Life in the spirit is totally superior to life under the law because, because the law deals with carnal people, fleshly people. It exposes them. The law exposes them, but it can't change. The law exposes you, but it can't change you. This is amazing. So the newness that we are living in is newness of the spirit. Some of us have not fully experienced this because we have, as it were, not known it. So, but we are now living in the realm of the spirit, in the newness of the spirit. It's a new state, a new state, a new condition in which the Holy Spirit places us and now he produces this new state, this newness in our lives. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, old thing are passed away and behold all things are become new and then he says uh, all things are of God wow so you and I live in the realm and God wants us the, the father wants us to understand that we live in this new realm and, and what what does this all mean it means that now we can please God it means now that our lives are Godward L let me continue here all right Read uh, something from John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, and then we'll hurry on. John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. He said, Jesus answered and said to her, there was the woman at the well, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Will never thirst. Now listen up. This is amazing. He's talking about the Spirit of God. He says, you'll never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So this is the new sphere that we, you and I are living in. So by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit living in us is a fountain of eternality. All right. And so we have to understand that. We have to understand that. Let me, let me read a little bit more. In Romans 7, 4, um, Paul said that we have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. So, so Christians today need to understand this so that we might walk in victory and that we might walk in newness of life. We must understand that. He says we have become dead through, uh, to the law through the body of Christ. What he means is Christ's death was your death. Remember, Christ died for you. Christ died as you. He died for you. He died as you. He took your place. He let you go as it were, as it were in a sense, you know. You know, I'm dying for you. And so when, when he was, quote, unquote, uh, executed, when he died on that cross, that was you. That's what he wants you to understand. That's what he wants you to understand. Now, now you did not die in the sense that you died for your own sins. That is not. That was Christ alone. But, but Don Lavelle was there dying. That old man was dying. Now, he says that we have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. Why? That reason that we may be married to another. This is so huge. Now, remember, in 
Romans 7, the first few verses, he talks about the law uh, has dominion over man as long as he lives. But if the man, if the man dies, you know, he's out of the realm of the law. But then Paul gives us this kind of almost like a weird example of a woman um, uh, and uh, her husband dies. And I thought, wait a minute, I thought the person had to die. But he says the woman died. And that is so Holy Spirit because he shows us because, because the law held us, but now it held us, it had a grip on us, but now he, he, the husband dies, so the wife is free to marry. So what he is showing us how God took us into death, now we are, but we are alive now and we are free to marry. So the example has to be that clear so that we are free to marry. So what Paul is saying here that we died to the law so that we would be free to marry. And so we are free to marry another, even to him who was raised from the dead. And so, so why the imagery of marriage? So beautiful. It's so beautiful. We are the bride of Christ, yes. But he says, you've got to be married in order to have some fruit, in order to have some babies, have to have some, some results. And so we married, we married this amazing, fruitful one, Jesus Christ, so that we can now be, a, be producers of a new state of living. That's what God wanted for us. Yes, we're not the old people we were, but we are, we are fertile. Yes, fertile, fertile. We can, we bring forth fruit to God. God wanted fruit. He wanted a new state of living, a new state of being. And we are those who are married to the Son of God. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 that, that, that we are the bride of Christ. And it's an amazing reality he wants us to know. You're not doing the best you can with what you've got. I'm just trying. I'm struggling. I'm, I'm, I'm. Oh, wow. You don't know what God has done for you. No, and, and, and it's sometimes difficult for us to know with all the stuff out there. Because a, a lot of times we don't hear this in church. We just hear how you can get more wealth. How you can have more carnal things. And what all of that looks like. Or how you can get your, 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 you know, your feelings uh, salved or smooshed or whatever they say. All right. Well, so we are to be, bear fruit to God. And he says, but now we've been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by. So let me, let me um, go quickly. Go quickly to Romans 7, 7, and then we'll just read a few verses and we're going to recognize your time, right? Are you good with that? So verse 7 says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? So when Paul is, is dealing with this very, very complicated matter, this, this it's an amazing theological, uh, uh, almost, uh, uh, what do you call that little maze almost, like a theological maze almost, uh, a labyrinth. Thank you for that word. Yes, I will put it in my repertoire. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Because you, you look at this, is the law sin? He says, certainly not. 
No, the law is not sin at all. So, so in case I don't get there, he's saying the law is not sin, but the law does something for all of us. It exposes sin. Yeah. You've heard of tests that have been done on, especially on junior high school campuses, junior high school campuses, where they would put a, some scientists or some people with, uh, having an experiment would put like a barrel there, and they would say, don't take the lid off or, or don't touch it. And uh, those junior high kids would gather around that thing and start saying, like, Johnny, I bet you won't touch it. Or take the uh, lid off, Peter. You know, come on, I bet you, I, I dare you. You know, and because what did happen when they when they put that sign up there? The scientists, the ungodly, oh, not ungodly. Let's say ungodly. Oh, yes, ungodly. Uh, maybe the ungodly scientists, those who didn't know Jesus, is what I'm trying to say. They weren't probably trying to prove this particular uh, point because I, I, I think they are probably oblivious to it. But the, what it proves is where there's law, it arouses something in us. And that's why when churches have too many laws, laws, they have a lot of carnality and, and bad things happen because it stirs something in us. And when you say, you can't do it, you're so can't. That, that's what happens. And on these, ca these campuses, they found out that kids, if they said, don't touch, they touched. If it says, don't open, somebody knocked the lid off. Yeah. Because the law stirs up those passions in us, those sinful passions. So, but the law, the, the law is not sin. Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. I would not have known what sin was, he's saying, except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law said, you shall not covet. So the law reveals sin. So now, reveals sin, reveals sin. In Romans 3.20, he says, Paul says in Romans 3.20, he says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified. No flesh shall be declared righteous in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law is the knowledge of sin. So when um, the Bible says you shall not covet, it made us want to covet. And to have desire for something, to long for something, to desire, to lust after something that's not mine. Yeah. Maybe when you're watching the movie, you think, boy, I wish I were married to that good-looking guy. <laughs> or maybe, oh, isn't she a doll? You don't know them. Why? Because the law always stirs up something in you. Paul didn't, didn't talk about, uh, he, says, he says, I would not have known coveting. And, and, and the thing is, it's very interesting. And as I just study this thing, all, all, all day and night, I'm always studying this. And uh, it's very interesting that, that he did not say uh, um, uh, anything about murder or, or stealing or, or uh, lying. He didn't. He didn't. He, he went to the, the, the last one, thou shalt not covet. Why? Because the other things are outward, aren't they? They're outward. It's an outward sin. Coveting is in your heart. Yeah, it's hidden from you. And he gives the story of the, of the rich young ruler. 
And uh, I, I, I trust that I can get to more than one verse in chapter, chapter 7, 7, right? But the rich young ru ruler uh, is a good example of the law revealing sin and showing uh, his, uh, this man his need for a savior. I'm going to say a savior because you may not know it's Jesus at the point, at the time. You see, the, the law reveals it. So this young man, he came to Jesus and, and he says, good master, what must I do to inherit, inherit eternal life? And so Jesus told him the commandments, you know, keep them. He says, I've kept them all of, all of my life. I've, I've, uh, I, I've never committed adultery. I've never robbed anybody. I've never, I don't lie. I've not dishonored my parents. I, I've kept them. I've kept them. Jesus, wow, I love this kid. He said, tell you what, go sell everything you got. Go sell. Because Jesus wasn't just, you know, throwing out a few uh, maybe options for him. To, Jesus knew you've done some outward things, but let's go to the inside. Yeah. He said, okay. He said, you, tell you what let's do. He said, he loved him. He said, tell you what you do. Sell everything you got. And you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. <laughs> he, he said, what? <laughs> what, what? What? Because he had not robbed. He hadn't committed adultery. He hadn't dishonored his, his parents. But he was full of covetousness. And covetousness leads to all the other sins. So it was just a matter of time before he broke some of the others because he was full of covetousness. And the law exposes who you are inside. You can say, you can raise your hands, you can worship, you can dance, you can do all that. But that ugly heart. And so this boy was full of covetousness. So he had really broken all of the commandments. And this is what God wants. The law exposes us. The law exposes us. Now, I'm coming around that bend. All right. Verse 8 says, but sin, take an opportunity. Sin is the issue. And God wants you to know how bad sin is. That young man did not admit his sin. He went away unconverted and unchanged. You have to admit your sin. Now, we don't want to stay there. Some, some churches just wallow in. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. You ought to be a saint sometimes. You know? You know, you want to keep down there because you think the measuring stick is I'm wrong. I'm a sinner. No, it's better than that. Listen to what happened. Sin taken opportunity by the commandment in verse 8. Produced in me all manner of evil desires. For apart from the law, sin is dead. So God, God blessed us by giving the law to show us we needed somebody. So Paul says the thing I, I, I want to do, I don't do. The things I, I, I want to do, I don't do. The things that, how does it go? I don't want to do, that I do. And so that's what Paul was saying. That's what happened with him. And so his exclamation was, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Who will deliver me from this death, this body of death? I want to do right, but I do wrong. 
And some uh, theologians want to argue whether this was when Paul was a teenager, when he was a child. I think it was when Paul was Paul. Because I tell you, let me just do a little Pauline thing. You know, I, I thought I could be perfect because I grew up in a church where they told you you could be perfect. The command was to be perfect. Yes, you can't be perfect. But it's, you have to understand what God means by that. And this is what, what it says. I want everything God wants you. Yes. I want it so much that I follow hard after him daily. I, want, I don't want to ever break your heart. I love you. I love you. Whatever he says, I'll do it. It may take me a little while, but I'll do it. Do this, Don. Yes, Lord. Help me, Jesus. I'll do it. But then I find myself the man who follows hard after God. As, as Job said, I've desired the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I understand that. But even then, the thing I don't want to do, I do. I'll find myself being really bugged. And I'll raise my voice. Maybe sometimes I'm in traffic and they cut me off. I've done nothing. What's wrong with me? So Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Oh, wretched man that I am. That's what the law says. Oh, wretched man that I am. Because God demanded something and you didn't give it to him. You did not give it to him because sin in your members. Oh, wretched man that I am. And so the law is doing its job. Oh, wretched person that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God Hallelujah. through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only one who can deliver you from this body of death. And, and your responsibility is to follow hard after him, not keep on sinning, saying, oh, Jesus forgives me. No, Jesus is the strength of your life. Jesus delivers you. Jesus Christ is the reason that you and I can now produce fruit to God. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We're, I'm going to come back in a minute. This is what I want to ask. There's got to be somebody here, somebody here who needs to give his or her life to Jesus. Listen, if you've not given your life to the Lord, I know you're struggling. You don't have to perpetrate with me. You, you can wear the finest clothes. You can have the best vocabulary, but you're still struggling. The only person who can help us is Jesus. He's the only one. Out of that 117 billion, he's the only one. And the Bible says that God took us into death, not so we could keep being crazy, to deliver us from this world, to put us under a new master and cause us to live in the realm of the Spirit of God. Cause us to bring forth fruit to holiness, righteousness, and with the end, everlasting life. That's what God has done for you. 
and you can receive it today. You're here. Don't think you can, you may, you may be married to a, a wonderful lady. She's here. She wants you to go to church with her and you're just going to come to church just to kind of appease her. You just don't come. You don't have any intention of changing. You just kind of want everything to be all right between you and the lady, right? That's a poor reason. You ought to want to be better. You ought to want to be better because there was a man, a Nazarene named Yeshua. He who knew no sin came down here in this sin-filled, cursed world to rescue you because you couldn't rescue yourself. And he, he died for you and he died your death. He died your death so that you could live forever with God and he paid the price. And that's, how, that's the reason why you ought to give yourself to Jesus. There is no other Savior but Jesus. There's no other Savior. There's no other religion on the, on the planet. There's no, not even Judaism that says and does what Christianity does. So I'm going to come back in a minute. I hope you'll give yourself to Jesus. I'm going to come back in just a minute, okay? And those of you who want to become stronger, I want you to also think about it. And let's live this life and bring fruit to God. Amen? Thank you.